0: everybody, it's Tony from Adafruit and this is a Raspberry Pi quick look. I wanted to look at a piece of software called Visual Studio Code and it's from Microsoft and it's a text editor. It's uh, cross-platform and I think open source, I'm pretty sure open source, and it's uh, just a text editor but it adds a little bit extra functionality. So I thought it would be interesting to look at it in the context of could you use this text editor? to run code on a Raspberry Pi and do typical development things like write a Python script send it to the Raspberry Pi, uh, you know, update the script, run the script, see the output, that type of stuff. Uh, The typical things that you might use a text editor for and just kind of run through that and see if it can work for that because it is open source and free. So, you know, it's a text editor that you can just grab and and start using. Um, There's some other text editors out there like the Atom text editor that uh, Visual Studio Code, I believe is based on kind of the platform for that, Um, at least Electron and maybe they even forked uh, Atom. But anyways, uh, you know, I wanted to look and see a lot of those other editors have really rich extension system and different ways to Uh, run code on a separate system like a Raspberry Pi and so let's just take a look and see if you can do uh, that with Visual Studio Code and also kind of look at maybe what is interesting about it why you might want to look at it uh, and and just take a look at some of the features so I haven't really used this text editor until now I just wanted to look at it I've heard a little bit about it I've heard some good buzz about it so I figured I'd take a look at it and then just kind of stream what I saw with it too so I'm definitely not an expert I'll probably get some things wrong uh, but, you know, post up in the comments if I, if I see something that's, uh, that's uh, different or if you know some more details about it. So let's just dive in and I'll jump to uh, the main view here. Let's go to this view, there we go. Uh, and so this will be, hardware-wise, not that interesting. I just have a Raspberry Pi right here, uh, the Pi 3, but it really doesn't matter which model of Pi. And I have a little LED hooked up to it and hopefully we'll be able to write some code that can blink this LED on the Pi. Uh, And then over here on my desktop, so this is, I'm on a Macintosh computer just because that's what I have to use to do streaming, uh, to use the software uh, that I use. But the cool thing is Visual Studio Code is cross-platform, so it works on Macintosh, Linux machines, and Windows, of course. Uh, and so that's why it could be interesting. If you use a lot of those different systems, then having a single text editor that works across all those can be kind of handy and useful. You know, you get used to all the key bindings and things like that, and it makes you a little bit more efficient, and you don't have to go relearn everything when you switch systems here. Um, so. And in the uh, web, uh, web page that I have on display here, so this is the main page for Visual Studio Code. I think this is the main page. It's got a weird URL. If you Google search for Visual Studio Code, this is what it takes you to. So unfortunately there's no like, you know, visualstudio.code or something URL you can go to. Uh, but I'll put links in the description below so that when this is on YouTube, you can just click those and go to these pages. And it's a real nice little web page. Uh, it tells you about some of the high level features. So the big thing that they kind of tout here is that it has IntelliSense, which if you've never used Visual Studio, and maybe it's important too real quickly to just talk about the difference between Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code, which are two completely separate things. So Visual Studio is a whole integrated development environment that Microsoft creates. Uh, It's a commercial product. They sell it. They have free versions that you can use um, that I think the license is a little more limited but uh, it's basically a way to write code for Microsoft platforms. So things like C Sharp, um, you know, C++ with Win32 APIs, things like that. So it's you know, typically been the platform you use when you're writing Windows apps and very full-featured. It's been around for years and years and years. Uh, you know, really great features. If you've ever done Windows development, you've definitely used it. Uh, and it's, it's a great editor. So it's got like really nice debugging support. You can go through and set breakpoints and step through things, uh, you know, great editor. And Visual Studio Code was something that's much, much newer. So I think it just came out in the last year or so. And I don't even think it's at like a 1.0 level or maybe it's like just barely above 1.0. So it's still kind of early in development. And it's uh, cross-platform, whereas Visual Studio is Windows only. Uh, it's free, and I'm pretty sure it's open source. Uh, so that's a big difference, whereas Visual Studio's commercial, like to get a commercial license, it's on the order of around $1,000 or so, I think, uh, which if you're doing things professionally, that's really not that much money. You know, if you're making money off of your tools, then your tools usually cost a little more. Uh, but anyway, so, you know, it's uh, Visual Studio Code is definitely different it's you know it's free it's open and it's a little more limited in the sense that it's not the complete package of an IDE or development environment the visual studio is so for example you know you're not going to have a nice little visual form designer if you're building a win32 application or I guess uh, XAML is kind of the new hotness it's not even new it's probably 10 years old nowadays but you know that's what you're using if you're doing like desktop development so none of that stuff exists in Visual Studio Code. It is really just a text editor with an extension system that people have plugged in maybe some extensions. So this is still really good though. It's useful for things like if you're doing web development where you know you're really just writing server side, maybe back end code or front end code, you know, things that you really just need a text editor for and you're not doing a lot of visual stuff with. Uh, it's great for that. Or if you're writing like Raspberry Pi code, like Python code, you know, things to talk to hardware on a Raspberry Pi. That's what I wanted to look at and see could you use Visual Studio Code to do that and maybe other cool features for it. Uh, But anyway, so to come back, so IntelliSense is a big feature and that's something that Visual Studio has had for a long time. And basically IntelliSense is just a way where the, uh, the development environment can be smart about the code that you're writing. So if you start to write the name of a function, it can actually pop up a window that says, oh, I see you're calling the sleep function, for example. And you know, by the way, here's the documentation for it and it'll you know sleep for a specified amount of time and you should give me an amount of time in maybe milliseconds or something like that. So really handy feature, especially if you're just learning to use a new API or something like that. You know, you know the basics of programming, but maybe you don't know all the eccentricities of the Win32 GDI API for manipulating bitmap images or something like that. Uh, so it's really handy to have a little uh, help from your editor to say, hey, here are all the APIs you can use, here's their signatures, that type of stuff. Um, And then it's also got uh, some really good debugging support from what I understand, but I'm not gonna use this and I'll show you kind of why, because it's a little difficult, at least as far as I know, I don't think it can do like a remote machine debugging because my scenario here is I have a Raspberry Pi, which is a totally separate machine. It's running Linux and I'm running my editor on my uh, Macintosh machine. So anything in my editor has to kind of sync over and talk to my Raspberry Pi. And so that changes things. You know, I'm sure I could debug code that I run on my Macintosh right here, but you'll see that uh, debugging stuff on your Pi a little more difficult. Another big thing they talk about is it has really good Git integration. So the Git source code manager. And I've played around with this and it actually is pretty impressive. There's some cool uh, integration that they have here that I'll I'll show off for this. Um, And then of course, like most text editors today, it's very extensible. uh, So people can write a plugin and I think they're written in JavaScript. I think you have to do that and just plug in that code. And then a plugin can be as simple as maybe a little command you run that does a bunch of things behind the scenes or I'm assuming more advanced and can add like, you know, graphical elements and and change things around a little bit. And it also kind of gets to the point of like, like a lot of these text editors, you know, the the editor itself is pretty bare bones and basic. And then the idea is you install a bunch of plugins that add a bunch of extra functionality. So if I'm a Python developer, I should install like a Python plugin that gives me a little bit of extra functionality for that. And so I'll kind of show you what I've done for this. Uh, So let's just kinda get started and I'll just dive in. So I've got Visual Studio Code running right here. Like I said, I just downloaded it from the webpage, um, installed it, and when you run it, it looks pretty much like this to start with. Like there's not much there uh, to to show you uh, what's going on. Now if you click, so from what I understand, I think on the left here, these are kinda the main modes of the editor. So there's like an Explorer tab that you can open up and this lets you go to a folder. And remember, everything right now is happening on my local machine, on my Macintosh. And so we'll look at how I can talk to my Raspberry Pi and, you know, send and receive files there. But so I can open up files and things that are on my Macintosh or on the machine that I'm running uh, this this editor on. There's a search uh, system. So I think if you have like a project, you can search through the code for uh, different things. There's a Git tab, which lets you look at if this is a Git repository, you know, what are the changed files? I can commit changes and things. It's really slick. Uh, And then the debug tab, which I actually haven't used at all yet. Uh, So I'm assuming this is where you can go through and start doing some of the step-by-step debugging. Um, it's also maybe good to call out, so not all of the features are available for all the languages. Um, let me see if I can find this page in their documentation here. So they kind of talk about um you know what it supports, and um, oh, I can't remember where I found it. They had a nice little matrix, which you would hope they'd put that like on the front page here, but they don't., uh, but they basically say so like you know their best supported languages are c sharp and you know most of the Microsoft stuff where you get like full Intellisense out of the box. But for most other languages, even, you know, I wouldn't say more eccentric languages, but maybe lesser used ones like, um, you know, Go and Rust and stuff like that, you get at least like syntax highlighting for it, which is still pretty useful. And then there's some extensions you can install that might give you more for that. Um, So let's get started. I just wanna start maybe with a little Python project uh, and I'll create it on my local machine and we'll see if we can send it to my Raspberry Pi. And let's see if we can get the LED blinking on the Raspberry Pi uh, for this. So to get started with Python code, you probably want to install an extension because out of the box, I noticed I didn't get any IntelliSense. Um, I got syntax highlighting with Python, but I didn't get IntelliSense where it's like telling me, you know, here my functions are uh, that I could call. So I did a little search and it looks like if you go to their extension and I'll put a link in the description below uh, to this extension uh, repository uh, page, but I do a search for Python. Uh, Unfortunately, a bunch of these show up, uh, but it looks like the biggest one is this Python by uh, Don uh, uh, Yayaman, or sorry if I mispronounced that, Uh, but this looks like the popular one that everyone uses. And if you go to this, um, it'll give you a little more details. And basically uh, this has, you know, uh, linting, which means it'll kind of tell you, hey, your syntax is maybe not the greatest or you're not following the PEP8 conventions for, you know, how you write Python code. Uh, IntelliSense though, which is pretty cool. So it can tell you, here's the functions that you're using and stuff like that. And all kinds of other features for like formatting and stuff like that. Uh, So that's what I wanted to install. And the way things work, so like a lot of text editors, you know you have this basic shell and there's some menu items up here but it's actually pretty limited it doesn't have a ton of stuff in here the magic thing is the command palette so on macintosh i think it's the option key it's the one with the little uh four uh little twirly like almost like a clover thing uh if you press that and p it brings up this thing i think on windows maybe it's control shift p you probably need to look around and see um and then inside of here you can type in so like if you type question mark it'll bring up a little bit more help and tell you, okay, here are some high level commands that you can use. And so um, the ext commands, these extension commands will actually show you which extensions you have. So if I type ext, This is gonna show, uh, oh, that's cute, no results found. So uh, I've already installed extensions, so that's kind of weird. Oh, no, sorry, I have to hit space. This kind of threw me for a loop. I don't know why, but you have to hit space to tell it, okay, now here's the extension command. So you can see I actually have two extensions installed already, but you might not see anything if you have no extensions installed. But this is where you're supposed to run this little command right here, this ext install Python. So I'm just gonna run this and let's see what happens. Since I already have it installed, so if I hit this and then, uh, okay, so, yeah, so it's showing me, uh, normally if I didn't have this installed, there'd be this little cloud download link. Uh, and if you click that, then it would actually install. But the first time I installed this, it failed. It had a bug or something, it said it, it failed. And I restarted, I installed it again, and it actually worked. So maybe one other little thing, as I've gone through this, I've noticed there are lots of little bugs and things. So, you know, it's. I, I wouldn't consider this completely stable. Uh, you know, expect to run into little problems and things. Uh, but anyway, so okay, once you have this installed, then uh, the kind of somewhat annoying thing is, y- you know, you're on your own as far as how to figure out how to use these extensions. If you're lucky, they've kind of documented them. Um, and this extension seems to have a lot of documentation here. It tells you a lot. It, it seems like it just turns on things by default. I'll show you for this sync extension. Um, it doesn't really tell you what you need to do. So, uh, you know, you, you're gonna need a little bit of patience, I think, uh, like it's, you're gonna have to dive into some menus and, and figure out, you know, what's going on. Uh, but anyway, so I installed the Python extension and now let's just make a new folder. So uh, this can open up a new folder or uh, or this can open up an existing folder on your machine. I'm gonna make a new folder and we'll just say uh, Python Blink is the name of this. And we'll say open this up. And so again, remember this is uh, opened up on my local machine. And oh, this is somewhat annoying. So it opened a new window, it looks like, and it reset. I had a view here where I zoomed in a little bit to uh, make it easier for people to read. So I've noticed every time it opens a new window, it seems to reset the zoom settings. So maybe there's some magic setting I can throw these into, but that's annoying that it doesn't at least remember that. Uh, so, okay, on the left here now, it has actually, here's that Python Blink folder and there's nothing inside of here yet. So I can click this and this will let me create a new file um, and, and maybe just some general feedback too. of uh, The editor is a little bit obtuse in that, you know, it would be kind of nice if it told me like, hey, type in the name of your file here uh, because it might not be completely obvious to people that that's what you need to do here, but let's just do Blink.py. And so that's gonna make a Blink.py file inside of this folder here. And so this is Python and this is cool. Like it picked up down here that this is Python code. And, you know, I can do something like, let's say, import time, the time module. Uh, and then if I press enter a couple times and uh, if I do time dot, this is where you can actually start, start to see the IntelliSense. So it's telling me here's everything inside the time module that I just imported. So these are all these different functions. So if I wanted to call like time dot sleep, you know, I could click that. And if I hit, um, let's see, I think if I press, uh, well, this is kind of nice, looks like I deleted it. Uh, But even if I don't, or let's see, yeah, if if I hit the parentheses and like, I wanna start typing things, but maybe I forget like, what does time.sleep take? If you press control space, this brings up the IntelliSense info. And so this tells me a little bit more about, uh, oh no, actually, That's kind of weird. This seems like a bug. Like you would think that this would bring up the IntelliSense info for the sleep function here, but it's not. So anyways, uh, I was hoping I could show something interesting there. But so let's say maybe don't hit the parentheses yet. So you do time.sleep and notice here it's telling me, okay, delay execution for a given number of seconds. The argument may be a floating point number for sub-second precision. So this is the doc string for the time.sleep function in the Python standard library. So that's cool. It tells me exactly what's in here. I don't have to go running to the Python website. So I know like I can do time.sleep for one and a half seconds. So that's pretty cool. And then the other nice thing is too, this works even if I make like my own function here, like foo, a, b, something like that. And I'll give it a doc string. So I'll say, um, and this this is another annoying thing. You know, I just hit X, double quote three times and for some reason it added, I think the problem is when I hit double quote, it magically adds an extra double quote at the end. But in Python, most of your convention is for your doc strings, usually you do triple quotes uh, because you might end up breaking across lines and you need to use uh, triple quotes like that in Python but it seems very trigger happy about adding extra uh, parentheses or uh, double quotes on there. So I I always hate that. And then you gotta go backspace, delete some out. Anyways, though, uh, I figure, you know, maybe it's good to kind of give feedback as I go through this, but let's say foo function does foo things with a and b. So there's my doc string for it. I gotta delete that extra thing. Uh, And then I go down and let's just say like print uh, maybe a, Uh, let's see, we'll do a format string and one and we'll do format A and B. So we'll just print those out. And then if I go down, now here's the cool thing. If I do foo, look at this, it brings up, here's my doc string. It tells me exactly what this function does that I created uh, up here. So really nice. It's smart about both the standard Python libraries and like the things that you're writing in your project here. So really handy, uh, super useful, especially if you're just kind of getting started, you're not super familiar with Python and you're still learning the APIs and things as you go with it very handy to have that kind of functionality. So really cool that you get this uh, just with the installation of that plugin. Unfortunately, it didn't work out of the box for me, which seemed a little weird because in this matrix of features, it said that Python supported uh, IntelliSense. So I don't know if I did something wrong or maybe they assumed that you have to install this plugin, but anyways, install that Python plugin and it seems like things work pretty well for that. Um, Okay. So that's cool. That's pretty neat that you get this IntelliSense um, stuff so uh let's see we'll save that file and again you can see so this is everything in the folder i could create another file here like maybe foo.py uh and you know put anything in here like print uh hello world for example so that's handy you know i can have multiple files now the git integration is kind of nice so if i click the git tab right here it says hey you don't have a git repository in here yet i can click this behind the scenes, it just created a Git repository for me, which is cool inside of that folder. And it's telling me, hey, I've got a few files here that uh, need to be committed. And I can even just type in a commit message and commit them directly here. So we'll say like, you know, here's my initial commit of files. Uh, Oops, how about commit uh, like that. And I just hit the enter and uh, it added them uh, there. So that's kind of cool. And then the nice thing is, so if I go back here and I start editing my files, like maybe I go back to blink uh, inside of here and I say, uh, you know, A and B are fun, something like that. And I save my file. Now look at this, it popped up and said, hey, you've got one file changed in here that hasn't been committed yet. And I can even click this and it goes through and it brings up a really nice little diff view. So this is showing me that, you know, here's my original file uh, that's committed right now into my Git repository. And then here's my new one and it's kind of highlighting and saying this line changed And specifically, you know, this little bit was added to it. So that's really cool, nice and handy uh, that it's all just built in. I didn't have to install any plugins to get this stuff. And if I want to commit this, I can just say, you know, uh, change Foo message, something like that, and then just hit the commit and it's in there. So real nice. That's that's super cool and that it's handy that it's all integrated in there. So okay, so let's go back then and let's see, uh, can we send this code to my Raspberry Pi and execute it? And so maybe let's go into like our uh, blink.pi and let's just call foo just so we get some output and we'll say, um, you know, uh, one and maybe two, uh, we'll send as the parameters for that. So okay, so I saved that. And then uh, now the thing, so unfortunately there's nothing built in that lets you Open up like a remote file system over SSH or something like that. Uh, but luckily, there is an extension. So if I go back here, and it's not the most discoverable extension in the world. Like if you type SSH, you get nothing. If you type like uh, SFTP, okay, good. You do get it. You do get it here. So it's this FTP sync extension. Uh, which is something that someone created. And again, you install it by pressing, you know, the the, opening the palette here, which is like the option P key on Mac. Uh, And then you run this little ext install FTP sync command. Now this extension, uh, the documentation doesn't really tell you how to use it. And maybe that's because it assumes that you know how all these extensions work, but just out of the box, it was like, okay, now what I installed it. And what it's doing, it's telling you, these are some commands that it adds. Uh, to help you use its system. And this little video is showing it, but the problem is it doesn't show you like what keys it's pressing here. So it's like, I see things happening, but I don't know what's what's going on there. So maybe some feedback there that not the best video here to explain how this works. Uh, but anyway, so here's the magic thing. And this really confused me because you would think, okay, I open up the command palette and it's telling me like, here are the commands. So, okay, ftp-sync init. Um, okay, so let's open up the command palette, ftp-sync um, init and nothing, no results found, like what's wrong here? Here's the thing, you have to press uh, this key, the uh, greater than symbol, and this opens up I think a command execution thing, if I hit this question mark, show and run commands. So that's the magic thing I think, where uh, once you install an extension, and I, I don't know why, but for some reason these ext commands are high level commands I guess that don't use this little prompt. Uh, But once you install a command, it looks like all of its commands get thrown into this uh, command prompt that you have to use here. And at this point, now I can say, okay, if I type FTP, here are all these commands that I expect. And so to use this plugin, you have to run this init, which will initialize. It opens up a JSON file, which I really hate using JSON as configuration because it's like, uh, uh, it's maybe not the worst format for configuration, but it's like, come on, you can't have comments. It's... Just a pain in the butt uh, for configuring stuff. It's easy for a programmer. It's the easiest thing in the world to parse and load, but hey, I'm a user. I'm not a programmer right now. Right now. And even though I am programming, I want to be able to use the IDE. I don't want to have to code the freaking thing. Anyways, that's a rant for another day. Uh, so for this, you have to basically configure it. So my host, I have my Raspberry Pi connected. It's connected to my network. And I'm gonna give the host name. You might have to give the IP address if your router doesn't do like a DNS server. So we'll say uh, Raspberry Pi is my host name, username and password. These are just the defaults for Raspbian. Uh, so we'll put, uh, oops, I have to select this thing. Say raspberry. Uh, And then the port, this is where it gets kind of annoying. It's defaults to FTP, which, you know, hey, it's 2016. If you're using FTP, maybe you should reconsider that. Uh, Luckily it does support SFTP, so you can type that in, but you do have to know that you need to change the port to 22. Um, Upload on save, I haven't turned this on. Uh, I'm a little leery in that, like, if it defaults to off, it's probably off for a good reason. Maybe it's buggy or something like that. So I don't really trust it yet. Um, so I'm not going to turn it on, uh, because I, I kind of like, you'll see the process. There are a lot of options when you can sync files and you, right now you kind of want to be explicit about syncing things. Cause you might like delete files on your PI if you're not careful. Now the remote path, uh, I'm going to give it the full path on my PI. So slash home slash PI. And let's just call Python blink, um, inside of here is the folder name. So I'll do that. So this is going to basically take this local Python Blink folder and it can sync the files in here over to this location on my Raspberry Pi. So my Pi user's home directory inside the Python Blink folder. So okay, so that's cool. So I'll save this file. And so that should be enough to configure this. Um, Now there's one big gotcha I ran into this. You might think like, okay, I'm just going to go and sync these files over. But if that folder, if that remote folder doesn't exist on your Pi yet, it actually fails and it doesn't tell you that like why. It doesn't say, hey, you know, you forgot to create this folder. It just gives you this couldn't sync error. So that's a little annoying, but I'll show you what you can do. So the next kind of thing, you know, like, so one maybe core tenant of, of, I, you know, what I think about when I want to edit code on the Raspberry Pi, you know, I need to be able to write code on my machine here, which looks like I can do that pretty well. Um, I need to be able to send files to my Raspberry Pi, which it looks like I can do with this plugin. Uh, And then the, uh, uh, the other thing here is I want to be able to get to a terminal on my Raspberry Pi so that I can run the commands. Like once I send my file over, I can like run it on my Pi and get the output and see what's going on. So it took me a while to figure this out, but there is a terminal. And I guess it's just in the last release they added it. Uh, they kind of hit it in here, like you would think that maybe that should be a high level thing over here, but uh, it's under view, view integrated terminal. And so this will bring up a terminal. Now this is going to bring up the terminal for your machine. So on Mac, I'm getting, you know, a bash prompt on Linux, I would get whatever my Linux OS uh, terminal command prompt uses. And then on Windows, you're going to get a command prompt. So it's unfortunately up to you at this point. Like, you know, if you want to connect to your Raspberry Pi, you better have SSH installed. Luckily on Mac and Windows, it's always installed pretty much. Uh, Or I'm sorry, on Mac and Linux, you know, you're 99% of the time you're gonna have it. On Windows, well, hey, that's where the story falls apart a bit. It's getting better where, you know, they're adding like the whole Ubuntu subsystem, I think in the next version. But right now you've gotta install like uh, some kind of command line SSH tool which, uh, you know, you would hope that maybe these days Microsoft should install something like that by default, but it's not there. So uh, you could install Sigwin, that's one tool that gives you an SSH tool. MSys is another thing, Um, you know, I think there's even a native port of OpenSSH that could give you SSH tools there. Uh, PowerShell maybe, but uh, I'm not the biggest fan of PowerShell. I'm gonna steal a quote from JWZ where uh, basically, you know, you might have a problem and you think, oh, I'll write a PowerShell script to fix that. And now you have two problems. So I don't know, uh, 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 nothing too much against PowerShell, but I haven't had the best experience with it. And honestly, I think the syntax is a little convoluted. So, but you could use PowerShell if you want, if you really want to do that, uh, go for it. Uh, So anyways, on Windows, you know, I would recommend honestly installing Sigwin I think that's the easiest thing. It's going to work on all the different Windows platforms. And then maybe once they have the whole Ubuntu and Linux natively on Windows uh, thing working, uh, use that. So that's unfortunately one thing. Uh, You know, it'd be really cool if they could just build in like MSys into this tool on Windows and just give you a real Bash shell or uh, at least give you SSH. uh, Because 99% of users are gonna probably just need SSH to talk to their web server or something like that. So anyways, uh, rant aside on that. So I've got a bash prompt, and you know I can just run ssh pi at raspberry pi, and uh, it's going to connect to oh wait raspberry pi, and this is going to connect to my pi. So I'll get my password here, and it's it's nice. It's got a little terminal here. You know here's my pi. These are the little things. The the uh, you know an ls on my home directory here. Uh, so like I said before, though I need to make sure that this folder exists before I use this uh sync plugin so i'm going to do that i'm just going to run the make dirk command on here and remember this is running on my pi so i'm going to make a python blink directory in here so okay cool so now at this point i can actually sync these uh files over here so uh, i'm going to open up the command prompt and again hit that greater than to run a command and we'll do the ftp sync commands and so it has two commands i can do local to remote which copies my local files over the remote machine or remote to local, which does the inverse, obviously. So I'm gonna do local to remote, and then you have to pick a folder, which I think is kind of weird. Uh, you know, Maybe it should just default to this folder, but hey, that's what I'll pick. And then you've got some options here. So full sync where you know, it's gonna make sure, like if I have extra files in this Python Blink directory on my Pi that I don't have on, on my machine here, it's gonna delete those. So be really careful with that. Safe sync where it's basically just gonna do everything but not delete anything on your Pi. And then force upload, where it looks like it's just gonna push the files over uh, no matter what. So let's just do full sync. We'll try that option. So I did that, and it looks like, um, you know, down here it gives some info. It collected the files that it's gonna change and send over. So, okay, so there are two operations. Kind of weird how it breaks things down to operations. Um, You know, as a user here, I just want these files to go over there. I don't care about the operations, but let's run those. And okay, sync complete. So now let's go back to our Pi, and let's go into our Python blink directory. And hey, cool, look, we have blink.py and foo.py. And so let's run python foo.py. And look at that, hello world, that runs my hello world. And if I run uh, blink.py, this is gonna say one and two are fun because if I go look at the code for this, you can see I'm calling my foo function and that's what I get there. So cool, you know, I've got code, I wrote it connected to my py and synced it over to the Pi uh, pretty easily, just with a couple extensions, uh, plugged in some stuff and not too much drama here. So that's that's not too bad. So, okay, so let's blink an LED on here. And so I need to use the Raspberry Pi GPIO library. So I'll just delete out everything here. So let's import RPI.GPIO. Now, unfortunately, uh, oh, and actually I have to do this as uh GPIO, that's kind of convention for this library. Now, unfortunately, you might think if I do GPIO dot, shouldn't I get all the IntelliSense for this? And no, you don't, because that's one little um, kind of issue with, you know, you're writing this code locally on the Macintosh machine that I have here. It's looking at the Python that's installed on my Mac. It's not looking at the Python on my Raspberry Pi over here. And so because of that, my Mac doesn't have the RPI GPIO library. So IntelliSense has no idea about this library, doesn't know what functions are in there, um, which is a little bit of a problem. So, and I don't honestly know of any way to tell IntelliSense, hey, use the Python on my Raspberry Pi, not on my Macintosh. You can actually tell this plugin a different path to Python, but that's a path on your local machine, not on a remote machine. So I think that's something that you just have to live with, unfortunately, that you're not going to get IntelliSense on a remote machine. which. I can understand that that's a pretty difficult problem to, you know, like this whole plugin would have to know about like how to connect to the Raspberry Pi and figure out where Python is located and look at its site packages folder and see all the libraries installed and collect all the info on those and shuttle that over to my machine over here and parse it all out. So yeah, I could see why that's hard and why that shouldn't work. But that's why just be aware, you know, it's not perfect, you're not going to get this amazing support here. So, okay, so let's do uh, the set mode function if I remember correctly, and I'm just gonna jump to the help here too. Uh, Where yeah, I wanna do the BCM mode. This is the pin numbering for uh, the library. So we'll do BCM mode, and then let's do uh, GPIO.setup, and it's pin 18 that I have. We'll do GPIO.out, and then let's just do an infinite loop here while true. Uh, Oh, and I should import the time library also above here. So we'll import time. And then, okay, so while true, let's do GPIO.output pin 18, GPIO low. So we turn off the LED and then time.sleep, let's sleep for a second. And then GPIO.output 18, GPIO.high. So we'll turn the LED on and time.sleep for a second again. So, okay, cool, so we'll save that. And then let's uh, sync this. So I open up that command palette, ftp sync, local to remote, choose the folder, full sync, run the operations, and sync completed. Okay, cool. And now let's try, so if I run python blink.py, I should hopefully see, hey, look at that. The LED is blinking. So that's pretty cool. You know, I wrote the code on my machine here, synced it over, and then uh, ran the script just within the terminal here. I never had to leave the editor. Um, and everything works pretty well. And I, I do have to kind of compliment them on, the editor itself is visually really nice looking, like clean, modern kind of material design look to it. So it's it's pleasant. I think this is nice to look at and uh, a nice experience uh, once you get some of those plugins installed and know some limitations uh, like I talked about here. So, and, and again, unfortunately on Windows, like I said, you're on your own to get SSH here, which is a bummer. I think, in my opinion, It'd be really nice if they just built uh, msys in and just included SSH automatically. Um, at least that, because that uh, 90% of users would love that. I bet. So, anyways, that's and you know, I'm. This is running on the Pi. I can press Control C to stop this. I can debug things on the Pi here. Um, unfortunately, the debugging. I don't think this is gonna work because it needs to be set up to debug on my remote machine and. I don't know, maybe there's a way to do this, but I haven't tried it yet. So maybe that's a video for another day here. Uh, So that's pretty much all that I wanted to show here is that it looks like there's enough features here to do basic Raspberry Pi development, probably from any platform, from Linux, from Windows, using totally free tools. Um, You know, no cost to install Visual Studio Code. It looks like it's got a lot of good features and then some cool plugins you can use to get more out of it on here. So folks have questions, maybe throw them into the chat and I'll see if uh, we can get to them real quick. And let's see, I'll jump uh, real quick to the main kind of headshot here. So there we go. And okay, let's see. So, and, uh, oh, someone was asking about uh, where did Tony D go for vacation? So yeah, last week, or over the weekend and last week, I was out at Tour Camp, T-O-O-R Camp, and I just published a video on youtube.com slash Adafruit so check that out. You can see a little summary, a recap of it. Awesome event, like really well run. There are about 500 people there. Uh, beautiful location in the San Juan Islands in Washington state. Just lots of cool stuff. If you're into like, uh, you know, security, research, hacking, uh, hardware stuff, radio, blinking lights, everything was there. Really, really neat. Even like lots of cool kids activities. It was a great, great event. So a lot of fun. Check out the video on YouTube for that. Um, let's see. Yeah, Git integration is a huge plus here on here. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, someone mentions they have an open source bash environment uh, and SSH in a secondary package. So that's cool. Okay, so check out the extensions and maybe there's an easy one to install that'll give you uh, a bash environment even on Windows. That would be really handy. If it gives you SSH, then that's perfect. Then you don't have to mess with much uh, to do what I just did here. So. Uh, and someone's suggesting, yeah, you can add to your path, uh, some putty commands. So that's cool. And someone was wondering, couldn't I copy the GPIO library to my PC? Um, you're right. I could probably install on my Mac the, uh, I dunno, let's just try it. I've never tried it on the Mac. So let's see, you know, in theory, I can do pip install rpi.gpio, I think is the name of it. And let's see what happens. Um, The problem is you know, my Mac is obviously not a Raspberry Pi, so I don't know if this uh, extension, yeah, look at this. So it's trying to compile code on my Mac and it's gonna get confused because it's probably looking for functions that only exist. Yeah, it's using some kind of pygpio.c. Although, let's see, what is the real error? That's just a warning. Where's the error? Called PyObject. Um, Looks like I don't have the Python headers installed. So I don't know, maybe it would work. But end result is, I don't, maybe you could install RPIO GPIO on your machine. I wouldn't bet on it though. So yeah, if you could install, then maybe you would get IntelliSense, But uh, you know, it's not designed to run on anything except the Raspberry Pi. So uh, don't don't uh, hold your breath about it working for that. So. Uh, it looks like that's it i don't see any other questions so we'll wrap it up so thanks a lot for watching uh subscribe to youtube.com adafruit you can watch videos and uh, all kinds of cool stuff like this i, I publish this video uh, on youtube and all kinds of other fun projects and things and check out twitch.tv adafruit we like to live stream a lot of stuff all throughout the week you can see desk of lady ada no and pedro have layer by layer i like to do a few different live streams so every monday i do what i call quick look where i look at an interesting pieces of software on the raspberry pi and just show off maybe something cool uh, and then Fridays, I like to do a little in-depth kind of stream of some kind of interesting Python-related stuff. So a couple of Fridays ago, I've started a series on using SQLite, the database engine, to store sensor readings, and I think I'm going to continue that. So this week, I'll do another Friday stream, and maybe we'll look at uh, in the first two videos. You know, I've used SQLite and an ORM, an object-relational mapper, to store basic temperature and humidity sensor readings. And maybe i was thinking we might look at can we take those readings and show them on a web page so maybe some simple stuff like that so uh, tune in friday for that and then maybe during the week i might do another stream on like some circuit playground stuff so keep your eyes peeled to that Uh, but otherwise yeah uh, like comment subscribe let us know that you like these videos and we'll keep doing them so otherwise this is tony from adafruit and this was the quick look at using visual studio code to do raspberry pi python development So until then, I'll see you later. This is Tony from Adafruit.